Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome back. It's been one of the busiest three days in world soccer that I can remember. My name is Nathan Strauss. I am joined by a man who did not just become the youngest player in Champions League history to create five chances in a match. It is Caleb Rhodes. Hello. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not uh, Brendan Aronson, who's a Massachusetts native, right? Um, I think he's a... No, it's a different native. Medford. Different. Oh, Medford. it's a different Medford. Yeah. Different okay. Medford. Yep. Okay. Well, he's a Medford native. Um. So, and I feel like he has similar hair to me. So that's that's good. You but do you share that? You do actually have. It's it's the kind of like wavy, not quite in curly. I mean, yeah, exactly. Soccer ability, we share a lot. Um, but yeah, no, happy happy to be here. It's it's been a little bit, but I'm I'm glad to be back in back in the booth. And we are also joined by a man who is not 35 years old and getting bodied by Virgil van Dyke. It is Nick Vinden. I was waiting for you to find like also some soccer player that you're going to compare my appearance to. And I was going to be like, oh, this is going to be a little bit of a challenge for uh, <laughs> for old Nathan here. But yes, no, yeah, Virgil van Dyke definitely back to his best in uh, Liverpool's trip to the San Siro. Why don't, we, why don't we start there, actually? Obviously, Champions League uh, and Europa League and Europa Conference League all returned this week with the round of 16 Tuesday's fixtures uh, we can get to in a second, but let's start Nick. Cause you know, you are actually the fan of a team in the champions league. Unlike the two of us, uh, Liverpool inter Liverpool away have to be pretty pleased with, uh, with how this game turned out. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this inter are, I think, uncontroversially right now, the best team in Syria. It's a very tight division. It's the tightest title race in Europe right now. Uh, however, I think coming into this game, if you were a Liverpool fan, I would not blame you for having, you know, some anxiety about running into the Serie A defending champions, especially with the, the level that they've taken their play up to under Nzagi this season. However, I thought that Liverpool really dealt with this game. They managed this game expertly. Jurgen Klopp, once again, is uh, displaying that he is the master when it comes to two-legged European ties. He's only ever lost to teams named Madrid in European competition or in a two-legged European competition format in his time at Liverpool. Uh, the Sevilla loss was obviously in a final. So, and the Madrid, the Real Madrid lost too. Um, but I think if you are Liverpool, this is the perfect result. You know, Inter definitely threatened at times. You know, there are periods where especially in the second half, it looked like, you know, they could capitalize and take the lead. And then Liverpool would be in a very different circumstance returning to Anfield. However, Liverpool took their chances. Bobby Firmino, I think, who is, you know, needed a, a big goal on a big stage like this for quite some time, you know, provided a really, really good finish, flicked on header. And also Mo Salah, you know, the AFCON disappointment hasn't quite, um, you know, regained his footing in the team as of yet, you know, really instinctual finish to make it 2-0. And Liverpool, you know, they've already taken out Atletico Madrid, who are the defending Spanish champions. And now, you know, they've beaten uh, Inter Milan, the defending Italian champions on their own soil. And I think the real thing that changed this game was the fact that Jurgen Klopp had the full complement of his squad to draw from on the bench. The substitutions of Jordan Henderson, Luis Diaz, Firmino, Keita, all really changed this game for Liverpool. And I think now you're seeing that with this team fully fit, you know, with the addition of Diaz, who looks already up to speed in that front three, I think you are going to see one of the more deadlier squads available for Klopp. And it's going to be a real worry for the rest of this competition or for the rest of the teams in this competition. Yeah, I was, I was very impressed um, with this game. Obviously, Inter missing you know, the best or one of the best midfielders in Serie A in Barella, but obviously Inter still like very, very formidable competition. But I agree. I think we this was the game where I think we saw what the range of this Liverpool team can be. Um, and I think perhaps this was the first time in a while that I've seen Klopp actually make some really intelligent uh, in-game decisions. So, for instance, Jota, who, you know, got injured, but also 
I don't think was having the most effective game um, as Inter were man marking. I think most players um, bringing in someone like Firmino, who does sit a lot deeper and who knows how to drop into the space, really disrupted, you know, uh, Inter's, I think, whole defensive scheme. And that's, you know, was the main change. Um, and I think just in general, I was noticing Klopp being a lot freer. And I think how he was setting up this team, I was surprised to see Elliot in the starting, but I thought he was great. Uh, but, you know, when things weren't quite working out, he also was able to reach down and bring on, you know, Henderson and Keita, even Milner. And he still had, you know, the ox on the bench. And I think now not needing to like worry about having to bring on like Minamino or Rigi now having like his full complement of offensive midfield and defensive players. You just see that this Liverpool team is, is, is quite, quite good. And post AFCON is ready to make, you know, a pretty big push in Europe, I think. And, and also in the league. I do think it also shows that, uh, this game more than anything else showed what kind of teams are able to beat Liverpool. And I think step one is you just have to have a pacey striker and Martinez isn't slow, but he is not Mbappe. Like he does, he will not really beat you with pace. And I was sort of cringing at times with Ed and and, you know, right behind him, Arturo Vidal, who I thought really struggled. I looking at his rating, he got a 7.8. But I thought he was directly involved in Liverpool, both of Liverpool's goals. They just weren't fast enough. Like, it looked like Liverpool were playing, like, a, a, an evolved version of soccer, um, especially late on in the second half. So, obviously, Hope Jota is all right, because I do think that he's had a, a fantastic season. Uh, but Liverpool have set themselves up really, really well for the return leg. Uh, and Inter, you know... Uh, in a press conference, Inzaghi actually said that they might end up playing a totally rotated 11 to just focus on the Copa Italia uh, and the league um, at Anfield rather than try and climb out of a, uh, of a two nil hole at, you know, one of the most formidable uh, grounds in Europe. So yeah. I mean, job well done for Liverpool. Yeah. I think I on mean, the more, sorry, Caleb. No, I was gonna say, I mean, I think, you know, if you're Inzaghi, that's a good way of like deflecting pressure, but I don't think he's just going to like give up, uh, this game and on your Vidal point, just briefly, I do think he was he was quite poor. Just looking at the pass completion rate of him compared to Brozovic and Chalhanoglu, he was at seventy percent. The other two were, you know, in the high eighties, low nineties. So I I don't really know why his rating <laughs> was so high. Uh, but Nick, sorry, I interrupted you. I think on the Martinez point, I think you're right. You know, the way to beat Liverpool is definitely to try and exploit their disastrously high line at times as we've seen this season you know Chelsea particularly in that game against Chelsea who really I think exploited it really well but I think this game in particular you saw that Virgil van Dijk is really back to his commandeering best I think in the first few months of the season you could see that he was a player you know getting back up to speed with that reconstructed knee you know this is the most severe injury of his career and it was going to take him some time you know, to get back up to the pace fully of the game. But in this this game, to me, really felt like the Virgil van Dyke of, you know, 2018, 2019, paired with Kanate, who I don't think has put a foot wrong since joining Liverpool and partnering van Dyke. I think those two are definitely the pair for the future. I love Joel Matip. I think he's had an exceptional season. But I think if you can see, you know, the the just the speed of Kanate, the speed of van Dyke, and the intelligence of both of these players, their positional awareness is already so great together. And if they can, you know, stay up to speed in Europe, if this is the pair, the center back partnership for the for the remainder of the Champions League for Liverpool, it's going to bode really, really well when they come up against, you know, the the really, really big fish in this competition. Not to, you know, be disrespectful to Inter, who've had a phenomenal few years. But, yeah, you know, I'm talking about like the Bayern Munichs and the PSGs, Man Cities of the world. I would yeah, get they're also facing Bayern. <laughs> yeah. uh, they're also both six four, uh, which you wouldn't guess necessarily by the way they move but Liverpool obviously took care of business you mentioned Bayern Munich they did uh anything but getting caught out by I'm sure a few of their future opponents at Leipzig uh when they faced off with Salzburg pretty wild game uh I was convinced that Bayern were going to win this one uh like 6-1 uh because that's what they do and instead it was some Brendan Aronson heroics uh and some good defending and some questionable uh, refereeing, officiating that uh, led to a 1-1 draw. I still don't think Salzburg can uh, pick up a result uh, in the second leg, but it's certainly a warning sign for Bayern uh, how they played. 
it also comes, you know, after they lost 4-2 to uh, Bauckham uh, in the Bundesliga this this past weekend in a game where they had to pull Upamecano out of the team. He was on the bench for this game. And I, I couldn't really tell you what formation uh, the team was playing exactly, but I, I do get the sense that, you know, Nagelsmann is used to playing these kind of strange setups at Leipzig. And we're starting to see some of his, you know, weird formational uh, tinkering now. And I'm not sure this Bayern squad is responding especially well to it. Um, it kind of looks like the old school WM <laughs> formation. Yeah. You know what I'm I, talking about? Yeah. yeah. I, yes, I wasn't talking... I've re- oh, yeah. I've read Inverted <laughs> Pyramid. I know all about the WM. Yeah. It look, kind of yeah, looked like the WM. Yeah. And so I don't know what to make of it, but I think definitely there's a there's a certain defensive frailty uh, to Bayern right now. Um, and I think, as I said, like Upa Meccano not sort of impressing in a lot of big games this season, you know, including their classicer against Dortmund, you know, a little while ago. And I'm starting to think, you know, Zula sort of surprisingly is, is ditching Bayern to go to uh, Dortmund on a free. You know, we've now also seen Alaba leave. We saw Jerome Boateng leave. We've seen a lot of these big defensive pieces for the squad leave. And, you know, I think they'll go through in this game. But just looking forward, I'm kind of curious, you know, where the defensive side of, of this Bayern team is moving. No, yeah, if you look at their bench, the only real, you know, notable center back is Nyansu, who is a very promising player, but 19 years old, not that experienced. And I think, like you said, Caleb, you know, the departure of David Alaba is huge in terms of experience and overall quality. And they're not re-signing Jerome Boateng as a backup option of any kind. And if you look at, you know, Lucas Hernandez is a good player. I don't think he's a phenomenal player. They did pay a lot of money to get him. And then Sula, who maybe you could say is a little checked out of Bayern towards the end of the season, who don't really know the Goetze effect, perhaps. And then, you know, Pavard, who is, you know, a good system defender. You know, he's got good individual qualities, but I wouldn't say, you know, he's an elite all-around center back. You know, certainly a bit of a utility man who can play right back and, and center back. And so maybe it's a case of you move, you know, a player like Joshua Kimmich back into right back and you try and, you know, tactically innovate with the players that you have. Because shockingly, you know, for as good as this Bayern team is and the options they have going forward, defensively, I think they're somewhat limited in terms of the personnel that they can put out on the pitch. Yeah, but knowing Bayern um, and knowing that their front four are pretty much locked in for the next couple of years, uh, I'm sure they will find a way to bring in, you know, Jules Kunde or something this summer. Right. Uh, and I, I just picked that, that name out of so a hat. But that's, I just picked that name out of a hat. But given that he's both French, uh, 23, and in La Liga, it makes him like the perfect target for Bayern. So uh, you heard it here yeah. first. One word uh, on uh, Salzburg's coach, Matthias Yasla, I think is how you pronounce his name. But he's another Ralph Ranick protege who is coming into you know his first full season of management with this Salzburg team. And I think he's done a tremendous job. This is the youngest squad, average squad remaining in the Champions League with an average age of, I think, around 23 or 24. And it's just incredible. Some of the players that have developed under him, like Maximilian Volber, who is at Sevilla, they're kind of a bit part player there. Brendan Aronson, obviously, who they managed to keep away from the grips of Marcelo Bielsa and Leipzig. Noah Okafor, who had to come off, unfortunately. Karim Adeyemi. And so I think, you know, I don't think they're going to go through. Like Nathan said, I think Bayern just have a little bit too much quality. However, I think this guy, Yasle, coming up against someone who is in, in Julian Nagelsmann, who I think he probably gets compared to quite a bit. You know, Yasle is a, a 33-year-old coach to Nagelsmann's 34 and I think he really proved that he is someone who we should be looking at in terms of high quality potential European coaching options in the near future. Well, yeah, that's the, uh, you know, the Red Bull system is notorious for producing, obviously with, with Rangnick at its helm for, you know, a good portion of its fledgling days. It's a great coaching pipeline, um, you know, from the Red Bulls in New York uh, all the way to Europe as well. Uh, let us take a jump back. Although not today so- for Marco Rosa, but we'll get onto that. Yeah, uh, we'll get on to that later on. Let's go back in time a bit to Tuesday. I don't think we need to spend that much time talking about city sporting because it was really just men against boys, uh, as uh, we expected. Is there anything that you guys want to touch on from that game, or uh, can we sort of leave that in the dust? No, I was, you know, I mean, I was just kind of surprised because it's another top tier quality coach, young coach, and Ruben Amarim, only 36 years old, who I think has really had a breakout couple of years. But yeah, this is really poor 
from Sporting and and overall like very quality from City, who I think just outclassed this poor poor Sporting team. Yeah, it's not even close. I think we can. I think we can move on. I I, I feel comfortable saying Manchester City will probably squeak through. Uh, yeah, having scored Barring five the, goals. Yeah. <laughs> And you know, because it's Pep, he'll play like a completely full strength 11 in the second leg, too. Remember when City played uh, Burton Albion in the third round or like the semifinals, maybe of the Carabao Cup? And he, like, third tier Burton Albion. And he played like a full strength 11 and they beat him 9 1. Yeah, sure really, do. That really, that, really, that really pissed me off. Uh, hey, it's how he shows his record. I mean, honestly, if you look at just their team, though, it's hard to like. <laughs> put people on the field that aren't amazing. Um, but I mean, like he could start Liam Delap, you know, Cole Palmer. To. Yeah, he could start Cole Palmer. Uh, he could start. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm I'm Akai. really interested in Mikati, uh, who has like a goal. He's averaging a goal per game in in the under twenty three team. Yeah, right Mikati also just just resigned a really long uh, a, a long uh, term extension. Yeah. But anyways, uh, let's move on. <laughs> to a yeah. significantly more competitive game uh, that ended in dramatic fashion. It was PSG, who probably should have won this game by two or three, uh, beating Real Madrid 1-0. Uh, how about that Mbappe goal? That was like Thierry Henry meets Lionel Messi-esque. This, this, was, this was honestly a amazing performance from PSG. I don't really understand. Like, where has this team been? all season they looked frankly like pep barcelona level play i thought the midfield midfield was fantastic verati especially i thought messi even though he missed that penalty was really on point the entire game he had still had eight shots he created a ton of chances um and then mbappe was just on another level this whole game beating players at will and then especially you know not giving up at the end of the game to to score you know what was, what was a pretty difficult shot he had to beat both the right back and the center back and then you know go through uh the five hole of courtois uh it, it it was crazy and it just underlines you know how much he could bring to a madrid team um and you know i don't think it's helpful necessarily to make you know head-to-head comparisons obviously it, it it's a complicated thing but you know, he was able to do and make and change a game on his own in a way that, you know, Vinicius was not, albeit when, you know, the rest of the Madrid team was was kind of letting down the offense, uh, especially. But crazy, crazy performance for PSG, crazy, crazy performance for Mbappe. And, and a game that just, like, imprinted on me, his, his ability, which should already have been imprinted on me. I think Mbappe is someone who because he showed up on the scene so early and he's already won, you know, the biggest prize in the sport in the world cup. I think we kind of take for granted the fact that he is still somehow like getting better every season, you know, just in terms of his overall technical ability. And I think he, you know, for all of his accolades, I don't think has that many, you know, clutch trademark highlight real moments. You know, he's got that famous hat trick, in however many minutes against club Bruges, or I think it's like four goals. He scored four or five goals against them, but, and he's got like the world cup final goal, which, you know, is huge. But I think this to me is is his first real, like, if you're going to look back on the career of Kylian Mbappe, this is going to be up there in terms of, you know, his highlight real moments, right? Like this, like he, like you said, Nathan, this was Henri esque. I mean, the, the, the way he just gets away from Vasquez and you know the turn of pace the, the the change of direction the finish it was an immaculate goal it's worth you know it's weight and gold for this psg team who i think if they had to go back to the burnabout at nil nil with all of the work that they had done in this game all the good positive bits of play i think would have been another smack in the face i mean this dude is when you talk about like the next gen this guy is once again reminding you that him and you know erling holland are it how about I was just I was thinking during this game like how good Messi's numbers would look if he could score penalties. Like it's really the one area, it's really the one deficiency in his game, like over the course of his entire career. Because this game could have been, you know, really put to bed after a pretty poor start to the second half by Madrid and Messi hit a really bad penalty. 
I thought Courtois played really, really well as well. And when I think about goalies based in Madrid, typically I would consider Jan Oblak to be uh, leading that race. But this year, Oblak has faded, but Courtois did, uh, did really, Courtois really well. exceptional in this yeah. game. Yeah, I and I bet he is like in that, you know, he Mbappe manages to just put the ball underneath him. And I bet he's, you know, going to be watching that on the flight back being like, I don't know. I, I thought Courtois was excellent this game. I think this, <laughs> we're going to get onto this. I think this game is a perfect example of why we need the away goals rule because Ancelotti did not feel the need to, you know, set up this team to play in any sort of progressive fashion, you know, once the tide was starting to turn. But I mean, we are going to have that discussion, I imagine. But yeah, I thought this was, as Caleb said, you know, this is probably the best that PSG have looked since that Man City victory earlier this season. Let us take a jump to one of my favorite competitions, one of Caleb's new favorite competitions, the Europa <laughs> League. Uh, happened. I, there were some absolute bangers today. I happened to have one class today, and it was on Zoom. So I had Zoom open on my phone, and I had two other screens worth of Europa League action going on. Um, but why don't you we shouldn't start admit with this on, that's on a right. podcast on Spotify? Nathan, uh, Nathan neglects about? his academics for you, listener. That's right. Yes. Um, but actually, Nathan is so good at academics. He has like a perfect GPA while watching soccer. So. That is true. The one class that I didn't <laughs> get an A in at UMass, it wasn't because I watched too much soccer. It was because uh, I just did poorly because it was a really confusing <laughs> class. It was resource <laughs> econ statistics. Uh, and I just like, it was too confusing for me. And it was why, during that, COVID. Anyways, why did you take that class? That sounds like uh, nothing that you would enjoy. Well, right, because <laughs> I'm not going to cut this out because it's important background knowledge, but um, I needed to take, I needed to take a math class for like my, Uh, for my like prerequisites. And it uh, was like, so you thought this was a gut, but it was like not as much. Well, I didn't think it was a gut because like there aren't really math guts at UMass and I I didn't want to take like calc again, you know? Fair enough. Uh, But anyways, let's just move on. Um, (laughs) Barcelona, Napoli today at Camp New. Uh, 1-1 was the final. Barcelona came out with, a really good lineup. I really enjoyed um, this starting 11 that they put out, but a combination of Aubameyang, profligacy, but, but really Ferran Torres uh, missing some truly guilt-edged chances meant that this one finished 1-1, even though Barcelona should probably uh, have come away with two or three goals. Yeah, this, this is an interesting game. You know, it was, it was interesting to see how Xavi rotated the team. I think... I, I was surprised that he actually rotated because I think this is, you know, a very important competition for him and for the team. Um, but I think it shows the trust he has in the squad. I think it shows that, you know, Nico, even though he was taken off for Gavi later in the game, is really, really good. I was a little more surprised to see Mengeza, but so it goes. But really, the story of this game was, you know, Barcelona with 21 shots to Napoli's four, uh, and the game ends 1-1. Napoli scoring a goal that really could have been avoided if if PK didn't spend like half of that attacking phase just kind of like weirdly lying on the ground. It, it was if you watch it, I don't know if you saw it. He he basically he was like tried to block the shot and then just kind of just sat there on the ground and then Zelensky was able to 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 get back on it. But really, the story of the game, as you said, was you know the the, <laughs> the extreme profligacy of Ferran Torres, who I think safely could have had four goals in this game i think his link up play was was excellent a lot of the time but he just ballooned basically nine shots um over the bar and of course after the game uh was 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 crying um which i i think you know people might have different perspectives on this but i think my take on it is i think he does seem to care a lot about you know the new club that he's joined um, and he had you know an off game today but you know, the rust, the rust will wear off. So I actually, it was like heartening to see that he understands that he, you know, let the team down um, a little bit. Also, just a weird thing. His jersey didn't have the Nike or the the club crest on it. I'm not really sure. It looked like, uh, it looked like a fake jersey that you would yeah. find on Las Ramblas in Barcelona. No, I think that's where they must have got it. Um, but all in all, I think Barcelona probably should have gotten more from this game. And, and the goals, the goals will come. And I think, you know, Napoli are one of the top teams in Serie A. So it's nice to see even on a day when we're rotating um, that we can, you know, still be competitive in what is one of the more difficult ties in the Europa League right now. So not what I wanted totally, but 
not the worst day day out i think no i mean like a ferran torres was really i was like i really hope someone comes and picks him up after this game and i think one of the executives actually of barcelona came over after the game and picked him up and comforted him he looked really broken following i think what was really he did get his goal but a poor overall performance i think i am not quite sure how obamiang <laughs> fits into this team i think he's just someone who is going to arrive at the penalty spot and try and convert some chances for barcelona i think from a napoli side of things victor awesome and just needs needs support from the likes of Insigne and Elmas. I thought there were plenty of times when he felt a bit isolated in this game. Insigne looked, you know, a bit beleaguered at times. I thought overall, I think you could say that Barcelona really should have should have found a way to put this tie to bed. But now as it stands, without away goals, you know, it is 1-1 heading back to, to Naples. And we'll see, you know, what happens there. I think the Europa League is frequently a competition where madness can happen and you can get like a really boring nil-nil or one-one draw situation the first leg. And then the next leg it ends like four two or something or four three. So well, I never wanted to predict the Europa League, but this tie is certainly finally poised. Speaking of a game that actually did end four two, not in the way that we were expecting either. Rangers put Dortmund to the sword today. Uh, and absolutely blew them out at the Signal Iduna Park uh, 4-2. Nick, I know you know more about Rangers than either of us, just based on Stevie G's tenure there, but I don't think you could have predicted this result, correct? I definitely did not predict this result. I think Rangers have definitely improved recently. They had a bit of a, a good start to the season, but you could definitely tell that their play was just a bit tired after the heroics of last season under Gerard. I think Giovanni van Bronckhorst coming in has really revitalized this team. You know, he's made some key additions. Obviously, you know, Aaron Ramsey on the bench in this game, James Sands, um, Ahmad Diallo on loan from Manchester United. But if you look at the starting 11s in this game, you know, Jude Bellingham, Julian Brandt, Daniel Malin, Marco Hoyce, uh, Rafael Guerrero, Akanji Hummels, a pretty stacked Dortmund team, obviously without Erling Holland. Rangers, who are an, ex- an extremely cohesive unit under Van Bronckhorst, but are starting the likes of Scott Arfield, a Canadian who played in the Premier League with Burnley and is 33 years old in the number 10. John Lundstrom, who got relegated with Sheffield United. Sorry, fantasy Ryan- Premier League god, uh, John Lundstrom. Ryan Jack, Alfredo Morelos, who I think we all thought was going to kind of kick on and become, you know, a European, at least like a quality top European striker. It hasn't really happened for him yet. And Joe Arbo, who is just coming back from AFCON, you know, really good player playing out of position on the left, but, you know, still has a lot of wear and tear on his legs from that competition. You would not think that them traveling to face Borussia Dortmund at the Zignali Duna would mean that they'd be scoring four goals, but it did because I think you've seen that throughout the season, Marco Rosa really has not been able to organize this Borussia Dortmund defense in any way, shape or form. You know, Hummels and Zagadou is certainly not a, a convincing center back duo. Manuel Akanji had a really poor game of 4.9 on Footmobe, and without Erling Holland, they really struggle to have someone to link the play around and to be a real focal point. I don't think Daniel Malin provides that. Jude Bellingham was probably the best player on the pitch for him, but he's still only 19 years old, 18 years old, and I don't think you can really count on him being, you know, the linchpin in a massive European tie. So I thought you just saw like the difference between a really cohesive, well-coached unit that has been together for quite some time under both Gerard and Van Bronckhorst and you know, a team that is going through a real, a bit, you know, a bit of an identity crisis under Rosa right now. Yeah, I think <laughs> my main reaction from this game is clearly Aaron Ramsey knew something that we didn't when he made his, you know, <laughs> surprise transfer uh, from Juventus. It wasn't so surprising he left Juventus, but it was surprising that he went to Rangers. But yeah, I think Matt's Hummels after the game was pretty, uh, like, open about the defensive struggles the team has been in. He said that the team has been playing a lot of sort of needlessly wayward and dangerous passes and that a lot of the goals they concede are basically just, you know, sloppy 
plays in possession that give over the ball, you know, in dangerous areas. Um, I don't really know what's going on with Dortmund. I feel like they're always like a bit of a mess defensively. Um, but certainly they need to, they need to tighten the ship, uh, soon this season because you know they, they have they have Zula coming in later and obviously that's that's a good move and at this rate it'll be very easy for him to demonstrate um his ability to improve this defense but I think from Dortmund's perspective they'd be very very upset to uh to, to go out to Rangers and luckily for them normally you know you concede four goals uh at home and that that's a pretty tough proposition perhaps uh to turn it around but now without away goals I think they they have enough quality to be able to beat uh, Rangers by two goals or more, but I think they need to have just so much more defensive concentration, and I'm not quite sure whether they're going to be able to pull that together, you know, in, in two weeks' time. It's kind of interesting, too, because Dortmund just do not spend money on defenders. Like, you look at, you know, obviously Hummels came on a free. It's Zagadu, Zagadu came on a free. Akanji, who's been playing right back, but obviously is a natural center back, was I think he cost like four million or something from Basel. Uh, and so, yeah, from Basel. Uh, and obviously the goaltending, or the excuse me, sorry, too much time uh, on hockey rinks. Uh, the the goalkeeping position has been an area of concern for them as well. With Gregor Kobel, uh, another Swiss player, getting the start uh, over uh, the other Swiss player, Marvin Hitz. So it's kind of weird. And obviously Zula arriving on a free as well uh, is, a, is a step up compared to someone like a Kanji or Zagadu, who is basically a shot in the dark um, arriving on a free from PSG. But um, when you look at how the rest of their squad is built, you would think that eventually they would just consider, you know, buying the likes of a Josko Vardiol or a Simicon or like the kind of young defenders who uh, Leipzig have bought, for example, because clearly they don't have problems splashing the cash for someone like, um, you know, Daniel Malin, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's maybe neither here nor there. I'm just there... starting to think that like culturally, just going based off of, like the Bundesliga in the past few years and the fact that like every game seems to end like 4-2 or 4-3, I just don't think defending is a huge deal in Germany. Culturally, so, I I think I I think my take is yeah, you know Germans have we been don't... famous for attacking first <laughs> exactly oh, God yeah <laughs> uh, yeah the ra- race to the sea um but or the channel I guess the channel but whatever the channel yeah um I, I don't think it's so much that, like the German league is light on defending it's just the fact that we probably don't pay enough attention and so the only time we pay attention to Bundesliga games is when they have all of these strange score lines um and maybe it does happen slightly more frequently but my guess is that there's there's still plenty of one nil, you know, two nil, nil nil well, kind of why games. Does, well, like, I'm why sorry. I'm just thinking about like all of the like, uh, box sense Lacroix or something, right? For like sixteen mil, like, right? Well, I'm not? thinking. I'm thinking about like all the players in the Bundesliga who we thought were going to be top tier defenders that haven't really panned out. I'm thinking like mm-hmm. Jonathan Ta. Um, yeah. What's the other the other dude from uh, Bayer Leverkusen? Uh, Topsoba. Yedvai, Topsoba. Although Topsoba is pretty good. He's still young. He's like 21. But yeah. Right. yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. like Gint- Ginter is kind Ginter, of solid, but not. Uh, Neko Elvedi. Oh, from who, was the, uh, who was the really young left? Eric Durm. Eric who Durm, went to the World yeah. Cup in 2014 as the youngest. He was like 18. Yeah. And then ended up in like the second Bundesliga. That's why well, I feel like Guerrero is is the only <laughs> only player in that defense they've they've spent some money on and obviously cuz Derm Derm was at the time a, a Dortmund player, right? And there's mm-hmm. also um crap, what's his name? Felix uh, Poschlock. Sh- Poschlock but also Schmelzer. Schmelzer. Oh yeah, Marshall Schmelzer. I think he um, stuck around for ages. And also Nico Schultz. Yeah, Nico Schultz existed. who they bought from what Hoffenheim, right? And uh, he's just like yeah. a pace god. Um well, right. What I'm saying is, like, there's a little lot of these players. <laughs> there are these, the... like, 78 overall exactly. defenders in, in the Bundesliga, basically. But that we thought were going to be, like, 85, 86 rated defenders, and it haven't, it hasn't really panned out. Yeah. yeah. No, I think, I think, but... I think you're spot on. That's a, that's a, that's an interesting, I'm definitely going to have to keep an eye out on that in, like, the next yeah. month or so. Maybe it can become yeah. a bit, like, average German <laughs> defender of the week. Uh, but, Elsewhere, uh, well, who Germany, wins the it, average German defender, like a one v one situation? The average German defender of the week or Emmanuel Tennis? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
exactly. no, right. That's that's our rating. It's it's the above below. Yeah, exactly. Like um, it's goals above Dennis. Uh, yeah. Expected Dennis. Uh, XD. Uh, but <laughs> uh, yeah, we're we're inventing metrics over here. We look forward to speaking at the next like MIT Sloan um, like sports conference. Uh, but anyways, uh, Leipzig Sociedad. I don't know if either of you watched this game. I had it on as my featured game of the second sort of time window. Uh, Nathan, today is that? I sure did watch this game. Fantastic. I did. I watched it. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I- letting you know. Fantastic. I'm glad because this game was really good. This was sort of a, a stereotypical or prototypical rather. Uh, this Europa felt very pie, Europa. Right? Yeah, this <laughs> felt very like, like Europa. This is exactly what Europa League soccer should be. 2-2 uh, the final score. Um, a couple of penalties. Uh, a lot of really open play. And I thought a really interesting tactical battle between two really great coaches uh, having good years as well. Well, for Leipzig. Uh, good second half of the year as well yeah i mean obviously if you're rb leipzig this is a step back from where you've been in the past two seasons competing in the champions league um this is still you know a really important competition for them i think they eventually want to claim that first bit of european silverware but real sociedad are no pushovers like Emmanuel aguacil is probably one of the better coaches in la liga and today i think he showed that he can compete with I think one of the the most efficient outfits in German football over the past few seasons and 2-2 I think is a fair result. I think these two teams there was very little to separate them and I'm intrigued to see, you know, where this goes. I really enjoy, you know, the teams that are in the Europa League this season. It seems a bit higher quality, a bit more name brand of a competition than usual. So, do you think that's because sorry to to jump in, but like do you think that's because the Conference League has led to a sort of like trickle down effect? I don't know if this is, I don't know if there's like a basis for that, but it seems like the expansion uh, of, uh, of European play has led to more teams possibly getting into the fight and maybe the, the balance of the competition shifting a little bit. If the answer is no, that's totally fine. I'm just, you know, tossing hypotheticals out here. I mean, definitely, <laughs> right? I think that's, I think somewhat because you'd have teams like Celtic and Bodo Glimt and maybe even like a Leicester City in the Europa in 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 the Europa League potentially right but i'm also thinking like i don't really know what i'm well maybe thinking. it's cuz maybe it's yeah. cuz teams like barcelona weren't good enough to advance in the champions league so there's your sort of trickle down yeah i think there's been like perhaps a slightly better crop of teams ending up in this round of 32. And I think also the way that I don't fully understand it, but the way that they've structured the round of 32 um, with some teams, you know, not playing until the round of 16 meant that they could concentrate some of those champions league dropouts to play against each other, like Barcelona and Napoli. Um, But I mean, just looking across the, the game, like the round today, like all these games were like pretty fun. And I think I'd pretty, Good results. Sheriff, you know, beating Braga, continuing their uh, European journey. Betis sort of beating Zenit and continuing to play really well. Banger, um, banger of a game. I watched yeah. the highlights from that game. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So that's good. And then, you know, uh, Sevilla beating Zagreb 3 1 with, with Martial getting his first goal. So I don't know. I, I, I don't, I can't quite put my finger on it, but I too feel that the Europa League has better quality this year. Although maybe I just need to feel that way. Like, emotionally to, to sort of guard myself against but that's the sadness sort of, not, of not only does the Europa League, League have better quality this season it's just by far once again today I was reminded that the Europa League anthem is by far oh, the it's best such anthem. a banger is by far the best anthem in all of soccer but I mean I, I think that I mean it's a really close one too with the Champions League anthem which for me it triggers a sort of like uh, multi-sensory experience where it's like wow I feel like I'm sitting, Nick, on your couch, like ready to like watch, <laughs> ready to watch like Real Madrid Juve um, in 2017 or something. Uh, you know, like it's so. I, no, I do, I do get like you know, like like the hair on the back of my neck like raises a little bit when when I hear the. Cha- it could be any. Yeah, dude, no, it's, I agree. Um, I like the champion song. No, it's, it's, it's derived. Song, right? It's derived it's actual, from Handel. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's I, I could Handel. be, I could be in like Whole Foods, and if that played randomly over like I don't know the Whole Foods. <laughs> You'd be picking would... up like you'd be picking up fair trade melons into the cart, going "Sue." Yeah, exactly. Like true. Seriously, I mean, it's there's just ads. Yeah, they all they're all good. 
it depends on like because the Champions League anthem, I agree, it's iconic. You know, like Caleb said, it makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck. It makes you, you know, want to believe in something greater than yourself. But the Europa League anthem makes you just want to run through a brick wall. <laughs> yeah, dude. And can you imagine it's that good? Dude, can you imagine hypothetically listening to the Europa League anthem and then having to listen to like 55-year-old Fergie and the Black Eyed Peas perform before <laughs> like you take the field? Like, talk about like an, an anticlimactic ending. Like you, you get you're all the way up at level 11 and then you get brought down to four speaking, speaking of anthems i i assume the conference league has an anthem i just i, I haven't heard it yet is it good i don't know I'm, but nothing can compare to no but imagine what if the conference league anthem which i assume none of us have really heard because why would we watch the conference league what if what if it's even the best what if it's like otherworldly i'm gonna actually put it as our outro music today so you can all hold on yeah don't, don't, don't play it. Don't, don't, we can't play it right now. But No, no, no. But trust me. You'll have to listen all the way through. It'll be like a little Easter egg that everyone knows is coming. There is an anthem. It's only a minute 18 long. Okay. Which is actually more time than I've spent watching the Europa Conference League this true. year. Um, <laughs> are Tottenham out? Although, are actually, out? that's not true because I when Tottenham lost to Vitesse, uh, I did watch that game. No, I was going to say, they're out of the conference league. They're right? out because, because they, they couldn't had to play against yeah, they had to Oran, and so they were adjudicated. Even when the draw was made, though, they were technically still in it. But afterwards, they were adjudicated that they, that they oh were out because because yeah, they were the team that had to forfeit. Yeah, which yeah. frankly probably is better for them in the long run, anyways. But um, maybe do we want to yeah. actually? So going off of that point, by the way, about the Europa League and sort of being a high scoring competition and whatnot. Why don't we have our, our little away goals debate? Because Nick, I know you brought up earlier that the PSG Real Madrid game uh, is an example of why we need away goals to come back. I would point to the entire Europa League slate and the rest of the Champions League games as a reason why away goals doesn't need to exist. Um, I'm personally a fan of the change. Caleb, I'm curious where you stand because I think Nick and I are pretty opposed on this. But uh, Caleb, what, are, what say you? Oh, I mean, as I said in our in our you know text thread, I do think the PSG Madrid game, the way it played out, was largely influenced by this. In that Madrid just had no real reason to go for it, um, and that was pretty clear. I don't think Madrid normally would allow themselves to get as completely outplayed and outpossessed, uh, like in every area of the field, without this. So obviously, I think I think that's a loss. At the same time, though, I think I'm starting to come around to the idea that the away goals rule, especially in the second leg, really gives, you know, the, I guess, the away team in, it gives one of the sides like a, a clear advantage, especially if the game ends up having to go into extra time where that if they score like another away goal it basically counts more than any goal that the home team scores and so i do think that that probably ends up not being fair the flip side though is i do think it adds a certain level of like drama and and craziness um that that can be enjoyable if you're gonna do you know a, a two-legged tie so I, I think i'm probably against it and i'll just sort of live with situations like this but you know, it did definitely give us some some fun moments uh, over the years. So I don't want to say that it was a complete waste either. Nick, do you guys hate fun? That's my question. The away goals rule was one of the most unique fun rules in, I would even dare to say, all of sports. Think about the Manchester City versus Tottenham Champions League tie from 2019 i think arguably one of the greatest single champions league games of all time you know spurs win it at the death on away goals you know the marcus urente hip tap into the back of the net the raheem sterling disallowed goal pep guardiola all on his knees at the etihad all because of the away goals rule and i think it does you know amplify the drama as caleb was saying of these ties which I think any game, any, any, any rule, in my opinion, that gets us away from a penalty shootout, which I think is by far the worst way to decide a football match. I don't think it, you know, displays any sense of really like who the better team was. 
throughout the tie. It really is kind of a coin flip at the end of the day. And, you know, the quality of the goalkeepers, the penalty kick takers. But at this point in soccer, you know, every team has at least like competent penalty kick takers. It's just something that players seem to be really competent in nowadays, aside from maybe Lionel Messi. Um, But I think if you want to think about, you know, the drama, if you want to think about some of the greatest ties in Champions League history, away goals is a factor that has contributed to the overall entertainment value of European competition. And I'm sad to see it go. I don't really, you know, this isn't a hill that I'm like, going to vehemently die on you know i'm, I'm going to stop watching the champions league because i want my away goals back but i think it was definitely a unique element that brought something different to the the viewing of soccer on as a whole you know particularly around this this crunch period of the one of the biggest tournaments in the sport yeah i guess for me it's just it's really frustrating to go out on away goals and i'd rather go out on penalties than away goals and when the away goals rule was implemented soccer just felt a lot different than it does now and I actually wonder if maybe we should wait like two years until we have a bigger sample size to like revisit this almost to see how much it truly changes because if you look at how Real Madrid have played on the road but also how they've played in the last three weeks like since the international break this performance against PSG um wasn't actually that dissimilar. So I'm not entirely convinced that this game in particular was dictated by the new rule. And it's mostly dictated by the fact that Madrid are kind of crap right now. Um, you know, we're talking about a Madrid team that started Gareth Bale last week. Like, seriously, a team that started Gareth Bale going up against PSG who have decided to uh, become the uh, the juggernaut that they should be. So I, yeah. I act, I'm pretty sympathetic to the idea that like, there, there are things about soccer um, that I do not want to change, like the Arsene Wenger sort of uh, UEFA FIFA shill type two year World Cup, um, you know, removing the offside rule, adding like a, a, an orange cart, like all of that crap we can leave to the side. This is a kind of rule change that I think doesn't fundamentally change um, how the game is played and if anything actually um, simplifies the, the way we view ties. Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting idea of like seeing what happens in a few or, you know, once we have a sample size. And also, I agree that this is not the game that we should use to evaluate it. I think a better measure might be, you know, I will say away goals do give smaller teams, you know, the underdogs a chance. Yeah, absolutely. And so it'd be interesting to see, you know, in a few years, whether there are like fewer upsets that would have been decided by an away goal, like meaningfully. Um, and I think I, I can't think of examples like off the top of my head of like, which, which times the away goal did help the underdog, but certainly I have to think that it did. Um, and so in a few years time, when we have several ties, we can kind of see how they would have played out differently um, if there had been the away goals. But I, I can think of a tie off the top of my head that was defined by away goals. Do you remember a little game in 2018? between Roma and Barcelona that Roma won 4-4 on away goals. I mean, we're, we don't, we're not going to have obviously that very traumatic memory yeah. for Caleb Rhodes, <laughs> but we're, we're, you know, that was like one of the more dramatic moments in, recent... in your walls, Caleb. Um... <laughs> <laughs> you better be careful. You know, he's yeah. only one country away now. Oh my God. Wait, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, <laughs> for Caleb, at least. Right. Yeah, for Caleb. Yeah. For Caleb and his citizenship. But yeah, Cy- I mean, Cyprus like, and Greece are great friends to be clear, but still, <laughs> but that's, um, yeah, there's not going to be a Harry Maguire moment where you run into Casas Manolas on the street. Um, I think like that is one of the, you know, more iconic champions league moments of the past few years. And that's something that's a game that was decided on away goals. So I think, in terms of in Roma, we're certainly you know the underdog going into that tie, making it to the semifinals that season. So I think I definitely think I agree with you guys that I, we need a bigger sample size to really kind of adjudicate you know where the removal of this rule is going to leave the Champions League and European football in general. But I am definitely going to be someone who misses um, the the drama of the away goals rule. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's certainly fair. On the other hand, it might just... Uh, I think what I really disliked about away goals is when you got a tie to extra time and then the away team got 
an arbitrary extra 30 minutes right. where their goal was worth more. Right, right, um, right. And that I think is something that I will not miss. I do, uh, I am sort of sympathetic to the fact that it, it makes underdogs uh, slightly, it, it gives them a bit more of a, of a chance sometimes. But uh, yeah, I mean, we can continue to, to look at this as well in the next, uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, you mentioned Harry Maguire. He's had a bit of a mare, but we can save that for next time. Uh, because this was a already, you know, an hour uh, or 55 minutes, surprisingly. So uh, is there anything else or shall we, shall we leave it here? I think, I think we can leave it here. Are there any games this weekend you want to shout out to watch other than uh, Tottenham city? Uh, Arsenal getting their revenge on Brentford. Just kidding. I know that's not the, the biggest fixture out there. Uh, Liverpool Norwich, no Luis Suarez to, uh, to torment the canaries <laughs> no but they do uh, have to deal with the lewis true lewis, uh lewis Diaz. Got, yeah, yes yeah. thank you um yeah i i, I was yeah um uh, leads are going to be united on sunday uh yep. by the there's, way there's the turin derby uh there is torino the and then obviously and barcelona, barcelona, Valencia, 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 Ferran Torres. let's see if he has a better game against you know the club that reared him do you guys uh, want to the player that paramount plus used to advertise the turin derby today is it is it, is it, is it uh, no 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 it was and believe it or not antonio sanabria <laughs> wait antonio sanabria plays for torino <laughs> yes i would never have known i thought i would was, have guessed that he was still at like i, I would have guessed he was at uh betty's still it was but. sanabria and mckinney but mckinney was definitely like the one b of the promoted how do you not use vlahovic i'm just i, I don't know I is there a big know. paraguayan audience for this uh yeah dude. oh wait remember um tomas chacon who got signed by uh juventus for like six months rincon rincon oh rincon yacon is the villain from uh oh my <laughs> god of from, yeah from, from, <laughs> <laughs> from season two of <laughs> well, he wow, was, this is actually uh... this is actually probably the most corner kick episode of all time because <laughs> really we has some really deep cuts in this one. Um, this um, really sums okay. up a lot. But uh, uh, anyways, we'll keep our eyes on all of that. Yes, we'll be back next yes. week to, uh, to discuss. We've got more Champions League action uh, as well. Uh, some duds on Tuesday, some some bangers on Wednesday, uh, and we will uh, we'll be back to hopefully preview that uh, next week. But until next time, I've been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Reds. I've been Nick Vinden. And this has been Corner Kick. And now, here is your Europa Conference League theme song that you've all been waiting for. <laughs>